listened to every single podcast on oneofus.net. What do I do now? Well, first of all, how is that even possible? But secondly, I think I have a solution for you, Chris. There can be no solution, there, Brian. There is a solution, and that solution is our newest sponsor, Audible.com. Guys, if you haven't tried Audible.com, now is the perfect time to do that. We're talking about content that includes over 150,000 audio programs. We're talking about books on digital audio dramas, uh, broadcasters, magazine and newspaper publishers, all the greatest stuff you can possibly imagine in one place just for you. Okay, that actually does sound pretty good. Doesn't that sound great? And you know what? I'm going to make it sound even greater, Chris, because they are officially, Audible is officially one of our sponsors here at oneofus.net, and as a special gift to you guys, Audible has given away a free audiobook. All you have to do is click on the link at the bottom of this page, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash oneofus. You mean to say that by clicking on audible.com and downloading their free book, they make sure by listening to that audio that we keep making more audio as well? That's right, and the cycle continues. Hey, uh, Richard, we should watch Jaws. Oh, no, we, we can't. Why? Um, and didn't you hear? J.J. Abrams has officially retconned Jaws, so it doesn't actually exist within the Jaws-verse, uh, uh. but he's going to be doing the future adventures of Jaws instead. Um, well, what else? Uh, what, what about the Goonies? No, no, no. Uh, officially not canon anymore. Really? Yeah, I mean, no, no. The Goonies aren't, aren't canon within the Goonies canon verse. I mean, he's a big fan of the Goonies. I th- yeah, I mean, but he's actually doing new, cuter Goonies. Uh, one of them has a wobbly head. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we could just have a beer or something. Mm, no, beer's been retconned. By Abrams? No, I just drank it all. Oh, great. Welcome to the latest edition of Digital Noise. Thanks for tuning in as always. I'm Richard. I'm Sam. Yay! And, oh, we got a packed week. It's not all good. Yeah. (laughs) We we will put that coder on. We're entering the the kind of May-June period where everybody's heading to the cinema. Uh, So we're getting a lot of stuff. What's the polite word for this? Yeah, dumped. Uh, the but there's a few gems. There are a few gems this week. A few. I don't know if I can call them gems, but we'll see uh, what you think. Well, yeah. we'll stick around because, <laughs> stick because around. there's going to be dive, a, a, a disagreement on a couple of titles. Anyway, to start the week off, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, as always, welcome to Digital Noise. Um, if you are watching this on the website, you can go down below. And if you look, anytime we talk about a film, there is a link to an Amazon page. Uh, click on that and you can buy each title. Uh, the great thing about that is if you buy that title from the website, uh, then uh, we actually get a weird kickback, which is, I'm still not sure how the economics of this works. Um, it's all uh, pennies and whistles and uh, little underground goblins I, that work it out, you know? I demand my free lollipops. Um, <laughs> but you don't even have to buy any of these titles. As long as you go to Amazon through one of our links, anything you buy, we get a part of the proceeds, so you'll really help and keep the website up. And don't forget, the best way to uh, keep Digital Noise and all the other wonderful oneofus.net uh, uh, podcasts up and going is to become a subscriber. There are various levels. Uh, 
each of them comes with different incentives. You get access to rare shows, oddities, um, film commentaries made, made by the one of us team. You know, it's really a bargain. A bargain. Uh, and you also uh, you get access to the weekly news update um, uh, uh, podcast from Chris and Brian, who, uh, you know, we miss. I miss you guys. Um, uh, I miss them too. Yeah. So, yeah, it does it. Um, <laughs> Premature, premature. We haven't, oh, we, sorry. we haven't signed the insurance documents oh, yeah. yet. But yeah, so uh, plenty of reasons to become a subscriber. Anyway, let us move on. Uh, we should start doing that funny thing that we call the reviews. Oh, I didn't know the thing. Oh, uh, yeah, he, he's still so young and fresh and tender. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So we're going to start off with a sequel. Told you this was the death days yeah. of DVD. Um the Man with the Iron Fists 2, uh, which is the sequel to uh, 2012's The Man with the Iron Fist, if you couldn't work that one out, which is the film where Rizza from Wu-Tang Clan, who, as we all know, uh, are nothing to fuck with, uh, he, uh, he decided, I'm going to go finally, rather than just singing songs about martial arts movies, I'm going to make one. Did you see the original? I did. You know, it's funny. I didn't see the original, but I watched this one. It's, with an open mind. It's the, the original. It's completely ridiculous, but it is rather fun. Yeah. Uh, and he managed to get a, a weirdly good cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell, Russell Crowe Crow. is in there. Who clear? I'm not sure whether he was just playing drunk or really was drunk. That's really. It's Probably. really hard to tell. Uh, you know, Lucy Liu is in there. It's actually really good. Um, it did okay. It mm-hmm. was fun enough. Uh, and he's gone. I'll do a sequel. Uh, fortunately, this time he's he's uh, n- well. I'll actually say he directed the original. Too. He directed the original. He wrote the original. He starred in it, uh, which is probably the weakest thing about it. Yeah, yes. Lover is a but not the world's greatest actor. Uh, this time he hands it over to uh, uh, Roll Renee, who is uh, the guy who is basically the WWE's sequel guy. Uh, he did like. The Marine 2 and 12 Rounds 2 Ooh. and he's working on The Condemned 2. Oh, That's what he wow. does. He, he is the definition of a safe pair of hands. Uh, this begins with um, Rizza as the blacksmith, the eponymous man with the iron fists, uh, trying to you know, re-establish his chi and reconnect himself to the universe after years of violence. Uh, and he gets banged on the head, dropped in a river, and we don't see him for the next half hour. <laughs> right, he's, he's not... He- you got a lot of backstory after. I think he he sort of. I feel like he heard the uh, cries of le- less of his blacksmith character. I don't know. You yeah. know that you know he's the title character, but you know. Yeah, but it's a bit odd. Dude. Like you've got a, a ninety-minute film, and he is a wall for a good seventy of them. Right. Yeah, and, and while he's gently floating down the river, which I was looking at and going, why aren't his heavy metal hands weighing him down right. and why didn't he drown? I don't get this. Um it's magic. We, we have this incredibly complicated but very typically martial arts plot line about a village and silver and uh, a mine and a weird well that will reestablish your chi and a, a missing warlord and gangsters and the noble peasants. And it's like Well it, that sounds great. Yeah. So, what, better than mo- this. what movie was I watching? <laughs> so I'm taking it you weren't a huge fan. I was not a huge fan. I uh, I don't think... I I mean, coming from a guy who didn't see the original, uh, I, I don't know what could have been... Uh, I mean, this just was just 
terrible in so many ways. I mean, the one hope that you have is that like at least the action scenes are going to be interesting or like dynamic. And even then, like there's a little bit of that. Like I, I, I feel like uh, he knows what a good like martial arts kung fu movie is, but he just misses the mark in so many ways. And uh, I mean. Like he goes through all the he goes through all the chapters the exact same way like most kung fu he goes through everything, and you're just expecting you know some savior some grace in this but there's just nothing to like about it. I, it's it's like he's taken your average mid card flat martial arts movie script and gone well let's do it in English, right? Which is kind of I, I admire him for doing that. It is very loyal to the form and the tropes. But then it just plays like, you know, okay, well, it's one of those, you know, bottom-of-the-box fillers. There's nothing right. spectacular about this. Apart from, and I will say one thing, Carl Ung as uh, Master Ho, who is the uh, basically the warlord running this little, this little village, he's great because he goes, oh, no, I'm just going to chew this scenery. Oh yeah, and he is so. Re- There's a great scene where he's surrounded by his courtesans, and he basically get. It's like the uh, the uh, you know uh, talking class. That's a paddling uh, <laughs> scene from The Simpsons, but it's like say anything near me, I will have your head removed. <laughs> uh, it's it, and that's actually it. kind of fun. And he really gets like this is a ridiculous plot. That you know, but it's you know if you've seen the original, it's not as much fun. It's clearly on a much lower budget. You know, it's it's okay. This made me uh, want to watch the original. The, the original is so crazy yeah. uh, that this feels like a kind of yeah, sad, under-budget yeah. direct-to-video. Yeah. It does seem like you know they cut the budget and they just didn't have... I mean, it still seems like they had a pretty good choreographer or fight choreographer. Um, I didn't look up who it was, but I mean, they they try to they try to show off like different, you know, ways they can... Uh, use the iron making and stuff like when uh i don't remember who played it he's in a bunch of stuff he was in like uh mortal Kombat. the guy in the, the mayor in the wheelchair oh uh uh karihiroko tagawa yeah he yeah he's really quite fun as he's well. fun too yeah when yeah well so, no spoilers but he uh comes in with his own like armor or whatever and they have a yes we, we have like the man with the metal legs which yeah is kind of a, which is kind of insane no he, he i think that's the thing there's there's little flashes of a much better film in here uh but you've like i said you've got a director here who what does he do he does hack sequels right and yeah he does he does a hack sequel what are you gonna do uh there's a lot more that could have been done with it uh oh no another saving grace rizzo does contribute a few a few um tracks to the soundtrack oh yeah those are all great and they sometimes they work with the fight choreography and sometimes it's real janky and it's like this song does not fit with this fight at all. But. So, yeah, moving mm. on. Moving on to something that... Yeah. <clears throat> now, I am a huge fan of Vincent Price. Why am I a huge fan of Vincent Price? Because I'm sensible and right. Yeah. Um, and over the last couple of years, uh, our good friends over at Screen Factory uh, have put out great box sets of the best of Vincent Price. Now, a lot of these have included... Uh, the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe films. But they don't have the rights to all of them. 
And there's a few of them that you looked at and gone, mm, <clears throat> this seems like a weird omission. I, I'm not sure why that's not in there. Well, it turns out that Kino Lorber has the rights to one of those films, which is 1962's Tales of Terror, which is also out this week. Um, this is a bit of a weird one. It's an anthology title. The other ones, if you've seen them, they're all basically... Um, Corman takes the title of an Edgar Allan Poe and throws the story out completely. Or in at least one case actually uses an H.P. Lovecraft plot. Uh, you know, like he's no interest in actually sticking by what really is, is, um, is Poe was on about. This is odd because the three stories that he does are probably closer to the actual original Edgar Allan Poe shorts or oh, poems yeah. than he'd ever actually done before uh he does um th- this has got three uh shorts uh morella the black cat uh and the facts in the case of uh, monsieur Val- valdemar uh morella is actually uh really the raven slightly re- in in some ways as right. well it's it's got bits and pieces um noteworthy really for uh for the cast um uh, it, Peter Laurie, uh, Vincent Price, and Basil Rathbone. Uh, Price is in all three. Um, Laurie turns up in in uh, in one. Uh, so does Rathbone. Um, what was your take on this? I found. I mean, I actually kind of dig anthology films, and uh, I'm not like as uh, you know my uh, Roger Corman. Uh, knowledge isn't as good as I want it to be, but I found this to be, you know, like like you said, I the uh, the reveals and the twists in this, I felt like I was like, is this actually based on the actual Edgar Allan Poe stuff? Because it's not they're they're never like huge twists or anything. It's never like uh, it's not like Shyamalan type stuff, but it's always like you know just fairly basic uh, horror uh, twists. But I feel like each of them worked really well. I, I was I was a big fan of actually the uh, the second one. It took a little while to get going, the Black Cat one. Yeah, but, but I love Peter. I just love Peter Lore. I love watching him. He's he's great. He's a good presence. Well, he, he basically takes the plot of uh, the actual plot of the Black Cat um, and uh, kind of builds it out the, to a full half hour by adding in a hilarious sequence of uh, Vincent Price and Peter Laurie doing wine tasting and getting increasingly drunk. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's points where Corbin, I think, just... He liked that, he liked that Poe was fashionable at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, he really didn't get them. I, I get what he was about. He just yeah. went, oh, I'm going to do lurid and gothic and it's going to be fun. It's going to be easy to sell. I think my favorite of the three is actually the facts in the case of Monsieur Valdemar, uh, which is... Basil Rathbone, uh, who's very good friends with Price, uh, as a hypnotist who is going to keep Valdemar, played by Price, alive at the at the edge of death. That he's actually died, but he's not let the spirit go on. <clears throat> and I actually really like this. It's the creepiest of the three. It's the least comedic of the three. I think it's I think it's from a performance point of view the most successful of the three because you got Rathbone and Price before Rathbone. Rathbone started to go off the the rails a little bit later in life. He had some some issues, um, and there's this real tension uh, between them. I think this is like the it's it's the grandest and most gothic of the three of the three. Uh, still not really. Uh, you know, if this had been included. Um, in the uh, the 
original uh, uh, box sets from uh, Scream. I think I, I would have been, you know, I would have been a lot happier. I just don't really feel that this. Uh, yeah, they're very basic, basically told. Like, there's there's not a lot to them. They have some kind of you know old uh, effects that are fun, but mostly you know it's if you're a big horror fan, I would say check it out. But if you're if you're not like into completist for Roger Corman, I you know I it makes me want to check out more Roger Corman stuff because now I know what you know like this isn't this seems more of his minor stuff yeah this yeah. this isn't the, the best of his work i mean like i said I, you know if you're a completist on the price corman stuff I, yeah i think get this it's a very bare bones disc it's you know or if you're a peter lore fan i i, I personally love peter lore and i want to see everything he's in and this is just like i mean he's real goofy and over the top but i thought it was fun yeah so moving on to um actually a double bill <clears throat> That's out this week. I didn't have a uh, chance to catch either of these, but I know you did. I did, and I I am not uh, aware of this movement, I guess, in uh, France to sort of uh, emulate James Bond in a way. It seemed like they there was this big like James Bond movement, and France sort of like made it its own. And uh, this guy, Felipe de Broca... Uh, we got this double feature here with uh, Up to His Ears and uh, A Man from Rio. And they're both like, I could talk about them both together because basically it's the guy, uh, um, John Paul uh, Belmondo from Breathless. A few years later, they tried to make him into like the big, you know, French star and they put him in these like giant, like stunt, epic uh, sort of adventure movies. Uh, in other countries, the first one's obviously in Rio, and it's about uh, a guy, this uh, the single guy who uh, gets he's getting uh, shipped off to war, and he somehow ends up in love with this girl, and he f- gets captured, and he gets thrown on a boat, and he ends up in Rio, and a whole bunch of shenanigans happen. Basically, the whole movie is just watching stunt after stunt and you don't see stunts like is that a bad thing no it's not it's almost like a you know like watching but like buster keaton or old uh chaplin stuff like really every piece is just like a different set piece for him to do some death-defying stunt i mean they're doing it like you're watching them climb up these scaffoldings and stuff like that and stunt men are being pushed off i mean it's real old school stunt effects and uh and I, I dug both of them. Uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo is great in both of them. He's got a good presence. And he's sort of, uh, in, the, in the up to your ears, I think it's more of an epic one. They sort of took it to the next level. It's, in, uh, it's set in, like, China. But they go all over the place. It's, about, it's a weird plot. It's about this bachelor... Hang on, you, you bother spoofing James Bond and you have a plot? Yeah, and no. Particularly, I, particularly kind of, you know, this is, this it, it, is it, mid-60s it's, it's where, weird. by that point, Bond's like, plot... I mean, there's giant epic uh, pieces here where Belmondo is just fighting off armies. He's got this giant turret gun. He's just shooting down people. And, like, really great practical effects. I mean, uh, I I don't know if they ever... uh, Well, it says there it got nominated for Best Writing, Story, and Screenplay. So that's something. Um, really? Yeah, that's weird, actually. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> Up to His Ears is a weird story. It's about this guy who doesn't want to get married. Uh, 
<laughs> because he's so a, he becomes he's a spy. A, I'm like, <laughs> it's weird. He's a rich bachelor who's trying. This family's trying to get him married, but he's depressed and wants to kill himself. So he tries to kill himself, but fa- fails every time. So, so he runs away and he hires this Chinese uh, like gangster to like like kill him, like send an assassin after him. Then he meets the love of his life. He decides he doesn't want to die anymore. He fights off multiple armies. It's really gonzo. It's crazy. And actually, I would say like the practical effects in it are, you know, just as good as most James Bond stuff. I mean, it's weird, but like, I don't know where these movies came from, but this is a, like a great, if you've ever seen like Jackie, uh, Jacques Tatis yeah. stuff, it's sort of like that where he sets up this big maze, like a big, like almost like where, where's Waldo frames. And you're watching all this chaos happen. And it's just like, it's like watching, it's just like watching a bunch of busy, you know, uh, a busy picture of just different things happening. Oh, look what's in the right corner. You know, what's in the left. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Actually. If I had to have a pick of the week, actually, it would probably be these two films. Nice. Yeah. A, a little it's bit, very a surprising, like how good these were. Yeah, I, I mean, well, there, there was that whole era of of bomb spoofs. I, I I love the you know Arman Flint films. I will yeah. I will quite happily admit to that. So and you know Belmondo's got a certain child, and up to his ears has uh, Ursula Andress as well. Absolutely, so it like yeah. This, it's actually a pretty pretty solid cast. I have a funny feeling I've actually seen these like on a wet Saturday afternoon back in the right. distant mists of time. It it feels familiar, but there there were so many of these, but they made money. Yeah, it, it's so funny now. You look back and go, okay, they now they only look marginally, slightly more chintzy and ridiculous than the actual Bond films that were being put out by that right. point. I mean, these are way goofier and like. Uh, the only, yeah, the only thing, the Moonraker, though. right? Or no, up to, or no. Octopussy. Yeah, no, I mean, nothing beats those. But uh, if if you're looking for like a weird like adventure film with great stunts and like goofy French humor, both of these films are perfect for that. Uh, so now moving on to another uh, period re-release, um, but uh, you know, arguably, arguably an American classic. Uh, Preston Sturge's 1942 Sullivan's Travels, mm. um, which is, it's an, yeah, it's a, it's an American classic. Is it an international classic? We will get onto that in, <laughs> in a, a few moments. Um, so, you know, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening to the show have, have either seen this or heard of this, not least because it's where the title for where, where, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou comes from. Um, the whole plot is that uh, John McRae plays John L. Sullivan, who's a, a film director who's like, he's made the kind of crap that was massively successful in... Frank Capra. The, yeah, well, not, e- not even Capra-esque. I mean, he, you know, he makes like Lower basically... Lower tier Frank Capra. Um, you know, gold diggers of 1933-esque kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does like the big... Oh, it's going to keep it's going to keep the masses uh, happy, and he decides like no, he wants to become a serious film director. So he's going to go, and, and you know, he starts pitching a story, and everybody in the studio goes, "No, you're rich. You know nothing about being poor." So he goes, "Well, I'm going to go off on a road trip, and <laughs> I'm going to ride the rails like a hobo, um, and it's going to be wonderful, and I'm going to so learn what it is like, to be really poor." 
So this guy's like the original hipster. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna see what it's like, man. Like I'm not. You don't know me. I'm gonna dress in like old, like poor clothes, and I'm gonna be a tramp. You'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so he he you know dresses up as a uh, as a hobo. Uh, in fact, he has a bindle. He has an actual bindle, which yeah. like, <laughs> how much of a stereotype is this guy? <laughs> um, and then the first person he runs to run into is Veronica Lake. Because, you know, when you're homeless, all the women look like Veronica Lake just after she's rolled out of the salon. Yeah. Um, so she's, you know, she's like, oh, you don't know what it is to be really poor. She's a, a broke actress. She, you know, she's like, I, you know, I'm not super poor, but I'm, you know, even I know more about it than you do. And there's kind of this, this long, this, this whole comedy of this guy who, like, doesn't get what it is to be poor and is play acting and comes out of the other end and actually says, no, my mission in life is not to make serious films, it's to make comedies. I'm like, what? This is really, really weird because you're, this is, this is a strange film because Sturgis wants to make a message movie. But then at the end of the day, he basically goes, we shouldn't make message movies. That we should be making, you know, Showgirls of 1933. Yeah, what was like, the, what were they watching in the theater? It was like Tom and Jerry? Or? It was, it was, uh, it was Pluto. Oh, Pluto. It was, right. it was a, it was a Pluto short. And it's like, what? And he goes, well, you know, cinema can't change anything, so we may as well make people happy. And I'm like, it's a very defeatist attitude. Yeah, I have a very, a very weird relationship to this film. I'm not as big a fan of screwball comedies. This is a great screwball comedy. Uh, it's better than most, but there are a couple of sequences that you're just, that I'm just like, wow, this is why a lot of people I know hate 1941. <laughs> well, it's like a lot of the screwball s- stuff in it doesn't necessarily earn it. It's like, hey kid, get in this car. We're going to drive really fast and we're going to, you know, everybody in the bus is going to flip around. It's going to be fun. Well, it's the, like, but what did that what was drawn on with some chalk. At least in like Chaplin or Buster Keaton stuff, like it's either like supposed to be sort of random or like part of like a motif. This just felt like, let's have a chase scene here. Like, you know, screwball. Who cares? Uh, there, there's a five-minute sequence of people falling into pools. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I, I, know it. It, I know it was 1942. Uh, but seriously. Yeah, they, and the real problem for me is it, it was, gets weirdly yeah. dark at the end uh, with a dead body uh, and yeah. Sullivan, you know, with uh, amnesia put away from a murder he didn't commit because the person <laughs> they think he killed is actually himself. I'm like, no, this, you don't get a nice comedy thing. And there are... And, this being 1942, its treatment of African Americans is a little bit cliched. Some of this has not aged too, oh, too yeah, well. The, the, I mean, there's a lot to really like and admire about this film. I think it's very, very, very much of its time. Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of a, a, a drag. But it, yeah, the whole thing of him basically saying, no, we shouldn't make message movies. And we shouldn't have you know, filmmakers, it's not their job to have like a big social conscience. It seems so schizophrenically presented here. Uh, and I know people are saying, well, yeah, this is relatively early in the history of cinema, but it's not relatively early in the history of yeah, drama dealing with Story serious time. issues or satire or farce. And this almost seems like a... It's weirdly retrenchist. It's almost like socially isolationist. It's very... And it, it was actually shot... In, you know, so many of the references are to... You know, oh well, we're preparing for war, and like think, you know, or there's bad things happening in Europe. So it feels like it it was written and set pre Pearl Harbor. So it's it, it 
you know, it, you get the vague feeling that even within a couple of, even by the time it was released, this was almost, yeah, it was right. almost moribund. Right. It's like after after this movie came out, it's like, oh well, now we're in war, so let's make these me- let's make these war documentaries. Um, I, you know, you're very convincing. Uh, really? <laughs> but I shit. Damn. Damn. That was never my plan. Well, no, I I think more so. Like I agree that he doesn't. I think th- he's talking personally about himself. I don't think he's saying like nobody should make message films. I think he's just Preston Sturgis is known for screwball comedies, and he himself, if he's good at making comedies, that's what. He, if he's good at making people laugh, he should make people laugh. And I, uh, I, I, I will point out though, the five minutes of people falling in the pool didn't make me laugh once. <laughs> none of it. I mean, none of it makes me laugh. Uh, um, you know, unless it's on per, you know, on accident. Uh, a lot of times. Although I'm one of those. Veronica Lake. The, the, I'm not quite sure whether she's great in this or sleepwalks through it. I think both. I mean, this is briefly before she really went off the rails, but yeah, this is, you know, you, know, you can just watch Veronica Lake being extraordinary. Um, I mean, she was very convincing as the little tramp boy. Yes. I, I kind of liked her better as that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, and it, it is criteria. This is a Criterion edition, so as always, you know, it's it's one of those spectacularly loaded editions that you just can't go wrong with. Uh, yeah, the and uh, transfers great. It looks really pretty. Uh, you know, yeah. does it deserve its its place in uh, the American canon? I mean, what's your take? Because it, it definitely is. <laughs> you can't ask me that. I don't know. I mean, I th- I think uh, I'd have to see more of Preston Surge's stuff because I'm not like that familiar with this catalog. But uh, I mean, if, if it. It's always like it's like Frank Capra to me. Like it's almost like he wanted to make a Frank Capra movie that had like that sappy uh, message to it. And I think you know, like it is pre-war, so like Hitler's on the rise, and everyone's like, "What's going to happen?" So to me, like pre-your war, yeah, right. We've been getting the shit bombed out over here in the United States. Thank you, Barry. Right, right, right. It's all (laughs) shit's going down elsewhere, and we're just looking for a way to laugh and i think this movie is the perfect uh like summation of all that it's like yeah pre-war we just need to like we need to just settle down and laugh sometimes because shit sucks yeah (laughs) especially for us poor people speaking of shit that sucks uh another film that you oh see what i did there smooth Smooth, segue smooth. smooth segue um yeah this is why they pay us the big money right uh, a film that you were forced to, got to see. Here's uh, the film. It's called Echoes. Can I point out, by the way, a film so immemorable that even though you watched like two days ago, you went, I can't remember this. Uh, yeah, you had I'm to go back and look at the back of the, of the box to I'm remind yourself. I'm the back of the box now. Uh, okay, I'll just read, like, struggling with the horrifying sleep paralysis-induced visions. Young writer Anna, Kate French of One Tree Hill, Wicked Wicked Games, retreats with her boyfriend in an isolated yet beautiful glass house in the desert, hoping, <laughs> hoping that the desert vistas surround. Let's let's roll back here. She wait wait what 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 what? She goes on a retreat with her boyfriend. They're just you know going out to relax. Turns out there's some a, ghosts. a glass house in the desert. Glass house in the desert. This seems like a terrible plan for right from moment one. <laughs> we have. Well, we got your girl Anna with her sleep paralysis. She uh, she's trying to calm down, and something some funky dreams come up. She see, starts seeing ghosts. 
her boyfriend's like, nah, it's all good. And you're like, this boyfriend's not telling her the truth. What's going on? You start, I think, you know, a lot of like visions in the desert, uh, some like Madonna, like music video esque, uh, <laughs> like weird trip scenes, trying to be like Darren Aronofsky or some other like mind boggling stuff, but just really leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. Hang on, so we're talking like, you know, Vogue era Madonna. Yeah, not, not but get, with ghosts. Not get into the groove, because that would be no. a very different film. No, very Vogue Possibly better from what you're telling me. Uh, yeah, some real shoddy effects. I mean, just real bad. I mean, even as far as like these straight-to-video horror films go. And uh, it's, it's you know, it all, everything starts coming together, but you just don't care at all. And uh, it's it's a movie that's, the less you talk about it, the better. Uh, so I would say maybe if you're really looking for something to put on in the back, check this out. But Echoes is a stinker. And uh, sleep paralysis has never been less sexy. Less sleepy. I mean, oh, no, I, it, I, it, it did seem to put you in a coma. It did. It, I mean, it, I, I didn't. I, I seem to forget like the last half of it. Uh, I won't spoil anything, but can you? There might be some, there might be some ghosts, guys, and they might be even more boring than the two main characters. So, uh, yeah, all the way for ghost films. Aww, mm. that's so sad. I mean, like, it would be I know, actually, it is like sad. a really great idea to have ghosts in a glass house because it's like, oh, there's a ghost there. Yeah, we can see. It's a glass house. We can all see where the ghosts are at all the time. It's like, no, it's hiding in the closet. No, it's not. The closet is made of glass as well. That could be good fun. Yeah, it sounds like they missed the ball. They, they throw the stones, Richard. Oh. Oh, you remember when I said earlier I missed you, Chris? Oh, hey, Chris. I, I'm going to go with no. I'm not, not here. <laughs> yes, you are. I can see you. Like it, like a... We can see you through the glass house <laughs> window. Anyway, <laughs> moving on, as we should. Um, you know... <sighs> little bit of a sad note on this film. Um, uh, Vengeance of the Assassin was uh, the last film as a director uh, by... Uh, I'm going to get the name wrong. So uh, great apologies to anybody who actually knows how to pronounce this. Panna Ritikrai, who basically was the guy that helped, uh, helped make uh, Tony Jaa famous. Uh, he is one of the great martial arts choreographers. Uh, he did Ong Bak, uh, Ong Bak 2, uh, Ong Bak 3. You know, like, and the things that were good about those films were the fight choreography. Yeah, no, <laughs> Increasingly plot, as time yeah, went yeah. on. Uh, or the acting. Um, but a great fight choreographer. Uh, not as good a director. And it's very sad to say that because he, he died soon after this was uh, completed uh, of liver failure. And you want a director's final film to be artistically and creatively successful. You want a great swan song. <sighs> Vengeance of Assassin isn't it. And it starts off so promisingly. There is a great opening sequence which involves uh, basically a football, ga- a football game uh, in an iron foundry where they're trying to kill each other with the ball. Yeah, it's and like, it's- dudes, uh, foul, foul. Well, uh, okay, they're not really okay. There, there's actually a really great um, 
Thai film uh, called Fireball, which is mm. the, the opening sequence is that for 90 minutes. It's, you nice. know, gangs of, of rogue football players, which is the weirdest fucking thing, um, <laughs> trying to kill each players. other with footballs and, like, setting fire to each other and the rules are, there are no rules. And that's exactly what this first 10 minutes is. I'm like, oh, great. It's going to be something like that. No, it's not. That's a dream sequence. It's never explained why it's a dream <laughs> sequence. It has nothing to do with the rest of the film. Uh, instead, what we have is a very bland revenge flick. I didn't think it was as bad as you're pl- putting it well, out there. <laughs> but, I mean, like you said, the the best part of those films is the fight choreography. And I think this film has... I mean, it, what it, it tries to do stuff with gun gun food type stuff i mean i'll say one thing he doesn't just leave the camera uh in one place he likes to sort of browse around and and i and i like that in a director like there's scenes where he's just right behind the gunman the entire time and he sort of moves with him a little bit it seems like he watched the raid and got some ideas you know based on how crazy and frenetic that movie is uh I don't know. I think I think the fight scenes were pretty awesome, and and I, I like. I mean, it's hard to tell like what's practical and what's just like CGI. I mean, oh, there's, I know that, there's a there is a one sequence where you can really clearly tell how badly green screened it is. Yeah, there, I mean, there, there is. A, I mean, the train sequence is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, you'll see. Yeah, it's a, it's as bad as like the Last Stand where that that end lasts with Arnold Schwarzenegger where they green screen that entire fight scene. We never talk of that again. We never talk <laughs> of it sorry. again. Um, see, I, I, I sort of dug the uh, the choreography in this. And while I didn't care for, I mean, I didn't really forgot what was going on most of the time. I just, I mean, the title tells you what, everything you need to know. Vengeance for Assassin. Okay. All right. Yeah. His dad or something like that. He's trying to get vengeance. Yeah, sure. But, but the problem was, I mean, I, I loved the choreography, the fights. I thought he did some really interesting stuff with the camera work, like you said. But then that gets in the way of actually working out what the hell is going on with the plot, <laughs> which is slightly complicated. It's not incredibly complicated, but the way the film is done actually makes it harder to follow. So there is this great sequence where the assassin wanders in and kills a bunch of people, and it's very stylized and beautifully shot, and the camera is kind of tracking in, se- in you know almost second-person perspective POV. It's really good. The only problem is, because it's shot like that, you can't tell who it is doing the killing. <laughs> and this is terribly important at this point, because right. you're like, we're ten minutes in. Oh, and apparently the way to become a uh, hitman in um, in Thailand is to uh, ask your uncle twice. <laughs> because he literally goes, uncle, I want to learn to become an assassin so that I can uh, you know, seek revenge for my parents who were killed by random people, who by the end were still not quite clear who they are. Uh, and he goes, uh, no. So he goes, oh, go on. He goes, oh, all right, then you've made a convincing argument. And I was like, do you really, shouldn't there be a bit more going on? I don't know. You just said it. You said uh, the best, those movies don't, like Ang Bak and those don't really need a plot or for you to understand what's going on. I think that's the best part is like just being able to sort of, I mean, this is definitely a movie you could just watch, uh, you know, with your buds and, like, just appreciate the choreography, I think. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's like you watch an old Shaw Brothers movie. You're not, like, totally... I mean, sometimes they have good plots, but most of the time, uh, I think this movie gets it. Yeah, I think it's just... 
And I didn't know so the director potential... died. That is sad. Yeah, that is sad. I mean, you know, apparently I think this is, is a. It's maybe not a worthy movie for him to go out on, but I think it's a worthy movie if you're into kung fu and like. I think this movie does some good, th- uh, some interesting things. He does actually have an, uh, another film coming out because he did the uh, fight choreography choreography on Skin Trade. Oh, okay. Um, which is. Um, Tony Jar and Dolph Lundgren, I think. Which I'm like, oh, oh yeah, no, I, I would be interested in that purely because Dolph Lundgren is clearly insane and has been for decades, and that just strikes one as kind of entertaining. Talking of insane 80s icons. Speaking of. Speaking of. Oh, God, Lifetime Network, why do you do this to me? Yay! <laughs> hey, Chris. Back in your box, Cox, back in your box. I'm so glad you had to work. Oh, God. Um... I I really do, uh, you know, I, I, it's always fun for people to go back and listen to old digital noises, but please do go back. If you're thinking of buying any Lifetime movie, uh, uh, Lifetime movies on DVD, go back and listen to my reviews of the Britney Murphy movie or the Flowers in the Attic and Petals in the Wind. I just watched that one. Uh, what's the one with Hayden Penetary? She plays like the, the woman who got... Uh, she murdered someone in Italy. I don't know if it's Lifetime. Oh, yeah. The Amanda Knox yeah. something oh story. I, that was actually... I was so into it because I didn't know the story. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> now I know. And then there's Whitney. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh. See, I didn't know much about her either. Well, I mean, I'm not from the 80s. I'm, I'm a 90s boy. But, oh, my uh, God. Well, of course, this is a good you, little you're, you're, catch you, up for her. She's she's the Whitney Houston of uh, being Bobby Brown and like you know, crack is whack. Right. Wow. This. This. I, first of all, uh, not enough crack. I don't think. No, no mention of crack at all. There's a little bit of coke. A lot. Um, I, mean, I think there's enough coke. Every time, you know, fair amount. Of every coke. time she gets upset, give me that coke. Where's the coke? He's like, you don't need that. So, yeah, this is... Okay, Lifetime Network has no conscience, has no morals. We have established this. Uh, they have trivial budgets. And they clearly went to Angela Bassett, who you get the feeling has been... You, you get the feeling this is a passion project for her, that she's like she, this was something she really wanted to do. Right. And they went, okay, you've got 50 bucks, mm-hmm. um, a bag of flour to pass this cocaine, and a weekend... Uh, oh, and whatever your script was before, um, 90 minutes. You've got TV movie length. Go. I'm like, you know, Whitney Houston was a, a fascinating character. She, you know, she is R&B, she was R&B royalty from day one. She is you know, a massively influential um, musical figure. Um, her relationship with Bobby Brown is you know, tragic and heartbreaking for both of them. Her early death and, and clear decline is just, you know, just, it's heartbreaking and fascinating. You could do for Whitney Houston what they did with James Brown uh, on Get On Up. Instead, it's the Whitney they did, they did, Bobby Brown story. They did really. the Long Island, they did uh, the, the Long Island uh, story. This is, this is terrible. It, it's impressively bad because it's kind of like, it, wants to go look she did fucked up stuff uh but it didn't really ever get to saying that uh it ends on a weird note that is like seems like 
oddly jubilant like oh Bobby and Whitney are yeah, back together and then them. he goes yeah and then they got divorced and then they died and then she died uh, like then he yeah I want to really see them fall apart yeah, yeah it, I want to see like, that too it has like a couple of minor squabbles so it's it's not even giving you the stuff that from a prurient point of view you know from a, a oh how bad does this get point of view you don't get that here well, yeah, and uh, from not knowing, I mean, uh, not knowing a lot about Whitney Houston, I mean, I know she's huge, but uh, I didn't know that she came from the R&B background. So, I mean, that would have, like, some, they sort of throw you in there, expect you to know a lot, of, all, already know a lot about her. And to me, this didn't feel like a Whitney Houston, it felt like the Whitney Bobby story. It should have been called Whitney Bobby. I mean, because it's got a lot more about Bobby than it does about Whitney, really. I mean, it's weird. They, they, there's a lot of trying to make him be sympathetic which is very strange that he actually comes off as like you know oh he was just trying yeah, his hardest and you know he makes mistakes and that you know she's just sad and it's like you don't get the feeling of like these two people who are locked in an emotional death grip why don't you because it's the fucking lifetime network I and mean, it really feels like so much of a bigger film and a bigger script was just hacked down to fit into that 90 minutes and god damn you this is what's going to happen well, and because it is a TV movie, there are sudden horrible edits that are fades to black, and you go, "Oh no, this is where the commercial <laughs> break should go. This is where the commercial break should go." And in a in a more just world, this is where I would be changing the channel. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm absolutely a little bit saddened that you don't know more about Whitney Houston, even if you don't like her music. She's, she's, you know. I mean, no, I listen to her music. I just don't know her backstory. I, I will now, though. Yeah, it's a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rush. I mean, honestly, you know, probably just go out and buy the albums instead. I'm not, I'm not even a Whitney Houston fan. I mean, that's the sad thing about this. It doesn't really do her the credit as such a, a major musical force. You know, there was a point where, you know, like, if she'd have stuck around and not got on crack and not told everybody the crack is whack, <laughs> which she did, and we were like, but you're on it, Whitney. Uh, she might have gone a lot further, uh, you know, Tragically, you know, instead we're left with, you know, a, a great musical legacy and a fucking terrible Lifetime movie. <laughs> Yay, Lifetime. Oh, damn you, damn you to hell. <laughs> okay. Uh, now moving on to what I think is actually probably my uh, pick of the week, um, which is Long Weekend, uh, which is a 1978 Australian uh, basically, nice couple versus the the uh, the Outback movie. Uh, <laughs> the Outback wins quite a lot, <laughs> I have to say. Um, the basic story is this this couple who go into the Outback and they go to, they actually go to the beach, but it's like a very remote bit of the Australian coastline. Um, it's you know this is supposed to be just a nice getaway, but as the days go on, you realise there's tensions within the relationship that are slowly unfolding um and while they're driving at night the husband uh accidentally kills a kangaroo while they're driving but he doesn't stop and the kangaroo is left bleeding and then there's this it starts to subtly imply that nature is mad at them but it's, it's happening yeah, but it's it's got to be in the context of this is the Australian outback, which is trying to kill you at the best of times anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, this you know everything is is either super cute and adorable like dugongs and and uh, koalas, or Capybaras. it's like oh it's tiny spider that will actually eat your entire face off, <laughs> or 
scorpions or snakes Even the or cute things sharks. will eat your face off. Yeah, That's or, great. You know, or, you know, saltwater, saltwater crocodiles. All this stuff that you're like, now this could all just be an, a coincidence because they're out in the middle of nowhere or maybe nature really is trying to get them. And I loved this. I mean, I've got a, a big soft spot for, you know, Australian weird independent movies the the 70s and 80s anyway uh i'd never seen this one before and i have to say this really it, it, it and it's powered by the performances uh you know the couple of as they collapse in on each other and he goes into full-on ocker mode of just like oh no you know you know you're you're just a stupid woman you're gonna you know there's nothing to be afraid about here and she starts pushing him away and you try and work and then things that really fall into place as you understand it asking how broken their relationship and how bad an idea this always was and this kind of feels like a precursor to something like picnic at hanging rock that you know australians yeah this is this is so the uh not long before but a few years but you really feel that you know this is the the australian idea that like you know if you've got something wrong with your relationship you know the the australian will this will amplify that a thousand times (laughs) and it's not you know the idea of the animals coming in like bad things happening and them getting attacked or potentially attacked by creatures in the the wild you look at it and and go there's a lot of american films at the time are doing very similar things like kingdom of spiders and you know all those various ones where you know and grizzly and all the you know when animals attack films at the time this has this kind of almost shamanistic approach it's not just like it's a big animal with claws it's like things are there that are just out to get you and are they actually out to get you or is it just because you're in their in their environment i i for me that was really kind of a spectacular balance that i i was really struck by how how successfully it walked that very strange line yeah i think it uh i think you're you're right on the money there where it does it's not like the american films that have a very singular, solid, you know, giant monster. This is like, you know, even the plants and the the beach and the water is is they're all out to get these this couple. And I think that really works well. It's a, it's a really great like atmospheric movie. There are some times where I'm like, you know, you're maybe I'm just too like into like getting get to the gruesome parts or get to like get to the point. Um, but I think this movie is very successful, and it is it is a nice like find. Like you don't see a lot of these films, especially if you're used to like the American or like uh, you know other types of <coughs> real just like basic man versus nature. Because uh, this, and, and this I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Grizzly. You know, I like Grizzly. No, yeah, they have their place. But this movie is like a very interesting take on the. Uh, Man versus beasts and beasts because it seems like yeah like this movie understands like that being out in nature you have to respect it and uh, there's almost like this claustrophobia to it too because you feel like you're in this like the director really sets up like the spot that they're in like this this one spot and you're almost like you want to get out there just as much as they do yeah and uh, I think it's great yeah and the performances are really top notch too. There's actually a, a really um, the name of the lead actor is, is escaping me for the moment. But there's a great extra where he talks about how he learned to do the performance, and he was basically told by the by um, uh, a, another actor, 
do the when you rehearse sit on your hands and do everything you would do with your hands with your eyes so your body remains static and you remain clenched up but you're still transmitting the information to the audience and he said that was like the key for putting the character together with this kind of like lockdown super macho ocker guy who's just like no 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 just you know have another beer everything will be fine he said that was how we you know and and it's a really interesting little little acting note that was like holy shit yeah that, you go back and watch it again and you go yeah he's doing everything with his eyes it's locked up solid like he's like i can't show any weakness right um talking of people who don't show much weakness <laughs> Hey oh. Hey Again, smooth, smooth. transition. <laughs> Manny, uh this is the Manny Pacquiao uh documentary. I I'm not a big boxing fan. I'm more of an MMA fan, I got to say, but even I am aware of Manny Pacquiao. Like mm-hmm. where do you stand on boxing? I love it. I love I mean I don't follow it like super hardcore, but um I mean especially now this documentary is very relevant because they uh they sort of go from the beginning with him and i you know i didn't i didn't really know his full story and and it's super he's way different than most boxers because i mean a lot of boxers started from you know the bottom like a lot of them started from the bottom of the barrel and he did but he continues to like it, you rarely see like a humility in boxers after they become you know so at the top of their game you know and i th- i think that's what's great about Manny is like he just seems like a super humble guy. They do sort of, they sort of go through everything. Like even it seemed like there was a time where he was drinking too much or, you know, sleeping around. But like, uh, I mean, it's hard not to like the guy. This is, I mean, I think this is a pretty good uh, summation of the the boxer. Uh, you know, it's not like terribly uh, exciting stuff. Uh, most of it, especially if you already know him, you probably already seen before. Uh, but yeah, I think this this doc is good. It starts from, you know, his humble beginnings in the Philippines, and sort of shows you how he had to just, you know, just he just had to keep winning. Otherwise, like you know, a guy from the Philippines, he sort of built up the country, and I think that's never happened before, where a fighter sort of like made a country, like have you know, have this huge upheaval where everyone's just. You know, proud to be in the Philippines now. Yeah, which they they, they clearly weren't at the beginning. I mean, but you know, it's kind of a weird one because this is it's very hagiographic. You know, it does go. Yeah, you know, it's basically you know the anointing of of, of Saint Manny. Um, but then he does seem to, at a certain levels, deserve it. And even his wife, like you know, he thought, this point where she's like, yeah, and then he cleaned his shit up when he got into Congress. <laughs> Right, so he got into Congress. Yeah, and they're like, and then he, and then he started his music career. And his, yeah, which he really which is great. Yeah, Manny Pacquiao clearly done some good in politics, done some good in the community. Uh, you know, great boxer. You know, held world championships at eight weight divisions. Right, which is in you know, just even thinking about that, Same. his ability to just train and become physically so different. Right. But then you look at what he, you know, and, and he's giving always giving away huge height advantages to other people now, and he's still coming in and just going, no, I'm just going to take your fucking head off. Yeah. Uh, it's very timely, clearly released um, just to coincide with the long-awaited fight uh, with uh, Floyd Mayweather. Right. Which, you know, he comes across as a complete dick in this. But then again, I think Floyd Mayweather regularly comes across <laughs> as a complete dick. I, don't I think, think that's an accurate yeah. Yeah, portrayal right Yeah, there. I mean... 
I think if you're a a big Manny Pacquiao fan, I think this is probably a must-buy, but then it was going to be a must-buy for you anyway. What's really interesting for me is there's a whole bunch of deleted scenes that I actually think make it a much better film. There's yeah, a lot more those. about the the behind-the-scenes negotiations or, and how boxing works as an enterprise. And that, for me, is the I best. I think it is interesting, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. There's, there's a lot of material about his trainers and his managers and how that all works. And those are the moments where... You know, those are the sleaze bags you want to see in docs because they they're just great characters. Yeah, for documentaries you want those kind of guys to show up, and they're they're almost like the uh, you know the supporting antagonist. It's not not really antagonist, but they're you know there's something going on. Like maybe they're not good for this guy. Maybe like you know they're obviously all out for money, but who's like who's really trying to just screw over Manny, especially when he first started. Um, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's like now he's got the uh, got high quality sleaze bags as right. opposed to like the low class degenerate ones he had before. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I found those really fascinating. And yeah, I could have done with a lot more of you know this this feeling that you know he's a nice guy, he means well, he's really good at what he does, um, but sometimes he's still a little out of his depth, and you get that, which is you know is inevitable. Mm-hmm. But he does come across as a genuinely likable guy. Uh, and great Liam Neeson um, uh, uh, narration to it. Yeah. You know, who, again, clearly thinks thinks Manny Pacquiao walks on water. Right. Like I said, great for the Manny Pacquiao fans. Um, not so great for anybody else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of not so great for anybody, uh, a film that uh, ruins the good name Heineken. Uh, <laughs> it makes you feel sad about beer. Heineken. Oh, Fuck beer. that shit. <laughs> Kidnapping Freddie Heineken, uh, known in the States as Kidnapping Mr. Heineken. Because apparently Freddie is like, oh, I don't know, that sounds too foreign. <laughs> Freddie Heineken. Which is based on the, the true story of the 1983 kidnapping of Freddie Heineken, uh, the boss of, the, of, of Heineken, the beer company. <laughs> um, and, yeah, this bunch of like, low-grade uh, Dutch petty criminals when. Let's kidnap one of the most famous people in uh, in in Holland um, and keep him under wraps and demand a huge ransom. And then, you know, them being petty criminals, they managed to get themselves caught within about five minutes flat because that's what petty criminals do. Um, this is a a British Dutch yeah, well, co-production. Me. Yeah, well, th- this is the first of the weird things that's not really successful about this <laughs> film, and there are so many of them. This is, this is. I wasn't expecting a lot of this because I looked at the cast list no. and went, "Oh, hang on, I've never heard of this, and it has this cast. This has probably been buried for a very good reason yeah. because you've got Anthony Hopkins, Sam Worthington, that dude uh, from True Blood, <laughs> Ryan Quanton." <laughs> Right. Jim Sturgis. I mean, this is actually a, a pretty serious cast. And it's bland. It's so It's, it's so, so bland. <laughs> this is, it's weird because it's probably the most accurate recreation of a true life crime I think I've probably ever seen. It looks like it, like, this is what they did. This is how they did it. This is how they hid him. Um, and it's like, uh, who gives a shit? 
really is who gives a shit. There is nothing enthralling about this film. There's nothing engaging about this film. It's yet another movie where Anthony Hopkins, who is clearly better than everybody else here, and is even phoning it in is better than everybody else here, but he's clearly phoning it in. Yeah. Did you even care? It seems like you're watching his frustration in the movie unfolding as you're watching the movie. I don't think he's even frustrated. I think he just doesn't give a shit. I think something happened with Hopkins that people don't hire him. And I'm wondering why. And I don't. Think I mean, it seems like he's in that same tier as some of these uh, guys like Nicolas Cage who just accept a lot of things. But it might be because people stop hiring for certain reasons. But I don't know why. I mean, he's he still gets like top billings in movies. Like a few years ago, he was in that The Right or whatever that priest movie and stuff like that. But I don't know. It seems like yeah, it's, he's one of those sad like similar to like Robin Williams and other people who just started. You, you start seeing them in films that you never even knew came out, and you're like, that came out? What, what's this big like? You know, big actor doing? It's it's sort of sad, but... I mean, I mean, there's just so many films made that are getting buried, I feel like, and just being thrown out on a DVD, and this is definitely... It makes sense why this was just thrown out to DVD. Um, yeah, and, and they couldn't even work out whether the cast were all going to actually have Dutch accents or not. Yeah, that's what I was confused about. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sam, Sam Worthington doesn't bother, uh, but Ryan Quanton occasionally, like, tries, the Dutch tries it, and it's like, it, it's so... But are they supposed to have British accents? No, I, I don't know. No, they're from... Like, it, does, it doesn't even <laughs> seem like they made their mind up about something as basic as, like, are we going to pretend to be Dutch? And I think... You know, there's a couple of Dutch cast members in there uh. who probably, you know, they are going to sound Dutch, but then, like, the whole of it falls apart. It just doesn't seem like it's a, a coherent whole. British? No, 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 Dutch. Who's Dutch? Okay, yeah, so like, it, this is just care. an inexplicable project <laughs> that I'm just like, you know, maybe you could have done a more interesting film, uh, but you failed completely, and it squanders a lot of assets. Yeah. It squanders a good story, it squanders a pretty reasonable cast, uh, and you come out of the other end going, okay, well, I know what happened. Yeah. I probably could have read the book it's based on, and I probably would have got more pleasure out of that. Yeah, boring heist films are always a... Uh, inexcusable. 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 Uh, plus, it actually got a chase sequence, but there's something funny about, like, you know, chase sequences in uh, small nineteen, small mid-1980s European cars. He's like... <laughs> and you, you do have Dutch police sirens, which are like... <laughs> Speaking of... Sorry, that was a bad transition. That was a terrible... That wasn't even a transition. That was just repeating what I said. Ah, you see what you did there? Yes, because you were playing an imitation game. Yeah. Ah, Which brings us to... The imitation game. The imitation game, game, which, you know... um, yeah, is for me very much split with Long Weekend as, as my pick of the week. I think Long Weekend gets it because it's something I don't think Ames ever seen. I think Imitation Game is just oh man, Richard, we're about to fight because I hated this movie. Oh, you are so <laughs> I fucking hated wrong. this movie. Bring it on, bitches! Bring I it mean, on. Go on. I mean, all go right, on. You go for, wrong. I mean, you no, go no, first, you, I'll you, tell you why you're wrong. You want to step up? You step up. I mean, I will. I will defend uh, a, a film that really tries to. You know, appeal to everyone. Like, I, you know, I, I like movies that are like, you know, sappy and have great drama and good soap opera. But this movie just felt like it was just too easy. Like, it it it, it takes a story that's like, 
it's I have a big I have a big deal here with Harvey Weinstein and like how he tries to find I have the same problem with the King speech he tries to find these movies that are like inherently like very very interesting stories but he turns them into soap operas and he turns them into like these pull out your heartstrings kick in the dramatic score you know running through the road i found out like i found the you know the piece of the puzzle those kind of scenes to me are just too sappy too sentimental i hate the sentimentality of this i think there's a right way to do sentimentality but this movie is not the right way i think this movie and and it doesn't even show the best parts of this guy's like i read up on him it doesn't even show like the most interesting parts of this guy's life in my opinion because like to me the saddest part is like sort of the deterioration of after he created this amazing device, like how he, his life just got more and more miserable. And I don't think they wanted to show it in that way because it wouldn't lend itself to the way these kind of films go, where they have to be like this Oscar Beatty type films. I mean, the performances are fine. They're a little obvious to me. They're a little, to me, they're like Oscar bait type stuff. And I feel that way with, a lot of biopics, like the uh, what was it the the Butler, even though that didn't get any. I mean, th- like all all these movies, <laughs> just because it doesn't get an Oscar doesn't mean it's not Oscar bait. <laughs> well, it's very Oscar bait, but I mean, I I just have a problem with those kind of movies, and uh, this is just another one that I feel like people will forget in a few years, and and I have the same problem with the Stephen Hawking one too. Uh, I just didn't like either of them. I felt like they. They have well, all like they they follow the like the piece of the puzzle and they're just paint by numbers biopic to me. Well, I, I would argue that this is much better than um, a lifetime movie. Uh, <laughs> yes, hush, child. It's no Whitney. <laughs> uh, this is this is much better than the Hawking's film because the, yeah that that kind of glosses over the fact that Hawking was a dick. Um, <laughs> a oh, yeah. lot. It yeah. glosses over that an awful lot. That's what I want to see. I want to see them. I want to see all the you know, everything, all the dirt and grime in someone's life, you know? Well, why I like this a lot, I mean, yes, it's Oscar Beatty. Yes, it's um, clearly the Weinstein's going, we're going to get an Oscar this time. We're going to do it. And, you know, it does, you know, it's clearly been put through their, their, you know, grind it down and polish up the bits they want and chuck the other bits. And there's many reasons to dislike how the Weinsteins operate. Um... But this is one of the most fascinating stories of the 20th century. Alan Turing... I, I actually um, got into a bit of an argument with somebody on Facebook because uh, they went, so basically what you're telling me is that uh, you know, a, I, a gay guy uh, made it possible for me to have an iPhone. I went, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what this is. This is exactly the story. <laughs> Alan Turing basically is the reason we have computers. He is he is one of the core reasons that we have computers. Uh, his work at Bletchley Park, which is really what this concentrates on, it concentrates on, on the period during World War II where he assembled a small team and tried to crack the uh, the code of the German Enigma machine, which was considered an impossible problem. And they were all, everybody was going, well, we just have to have lots of people transcribing this. It's like, no, you build a machine that does it for you. He basically invents the computer. And I do have to say, there's a certain little bit of like, I am British, um, because, um, you know, this is yet You're another biased. bit, of, I know, yet another bit of the of the history of computing that everybody forgets. There are people, you know, and the fact that it does go through and show that 
because of the way that security and secrecy worked during World War II, um, that nothing about what he did came out for years, and he ended up being prosecuted uh, for being gay. And, and I think it brings those pieces together a, a lot more smoothly than a lot of other films could have and would have. And, and I, another criticism I heard of it was like, oh, it didn't talk about him being gay enough. It didn't bring up, you know... His, the, you know, the gay lifestyle in Britain in the nineteen in the nineteen forties. There wasn't a gay lifestyle in Britain in the nineteen forties. You were gay. You didn't talk about it. You definitely didn't talk about it around people you worked with. You definitely didn't talk about it in a secure environment. Right. So to represent it other than that, I think would have been completely false. Yeah, it's not like he's going to the clubs. No, nah. no. I mean, they, I, and I think you know, and Turing, Cumberbatch's performance reminds me of academics I've known. Just incredibly awkward, incredibly bright, uh, just shouldn't be allowed to talk to people. They see the goal, they are heading towards it at high speed, and they don't realize how destructive that is. It does play fast and loose with some components. Uh, for example, the the search for uh, the, mis- the the infamous um, fifth man, the, the uh, figure missing from the spy circle in later years... Um, that's folded in in a way that's not strictly accurate, but it does do some some things really well, like saying, "Oh, well, we cracked the enigma the enigma code. How do we, uh, you know, do we just stop every German uh, raid?" It's like, "Well, no, because if you do that, then the Germans are going to know you've cracked the code. They'll come up with another code. You're back where you were five minutes ago." So there's uh, that's one of my favorite scenes is where they discuss how much information that we gathered do we use, right? And that's a really tough, horrible, personal discussion that they have. Um, you know, Cumberbatch, I think, you know, consistently great in this. Uh, Kira Knightley less annoying than I find with <laughs> a lot of things because at least she's being honest about who she is, which is an extremely well-bred, toffee-nosed uh, actress. And, like any time Kira Knightley tries to one. She should never do American accents. Um, you know, I know I shouldn't do American accents. She should know that as well. Uh, but I, you know, I, there's there's a lot to like about this. Not least that I think it is, you know, yeah. There's probably a much better story to be done. But at the same time, this is such a significant part of of, of modern history that it's very disappointing that people. Uh, you know, it's very disappointing to me that people are not. As down with it, you know. I really, I because uh, it's you know, and, and I do feel that it caught how repressive the culture was without ramming stuff down your throat. Uh, you know, it talked about his homosexuality without trying to crowbar in uh, a, a, a a scene that would not have felt authentic. And particularly at Bletchley Park, you know, he wasn't sexually active at Bletchley Park. So when you pick that period, I think. You know, it, right. it, it is accurate about what that period was. And I, that I, I have to admire. Um, and it does say, you know, finally, you know, he was actually recognized. And people did admit the, uh, what they did to him was wrong. And he, and he should have been pardoned. Right. No, I think it's a great and very important story to tell. I just, I, I'm done with a lot of the overly sentimental. And, like, I'm just done with, especially the score, too. I just felt it was just... Oh yeah, the score the score really needed. To I be mean, it, back a, a, lot, bit. a lot of people loved it. So what do I know? Uh, but, maybe uh, I just maybe they're know. wrong. Maybe they're wrong. I think people should uh, definitely be discussing Alan Turing and how 
much of an impact yet. But yeah. they're also uh, the book this is based upon. It is a Leviathan, uh, but Enigma is well worth reading uh, because it, it it is the whole history of both his life and the period and how pivotal that became in, in the development of, of computing. Um, <laughs> change of pace. Speaking of computing. Change, <laughs> speaking of a shitload of CGI and not all good. Uh, hey. Oh. It was 2012. They didn't know what they were doing back then. <laughs> they, they, they had to hand crank their... Back. They were still using video toaster. Metal <laughs> <laughs> uh, Um The anthology series based on the long-running... Um, uh, French magazine Metal Hurlant, aka Heavy Metal in the States. Uh, I know a lot of people have got a soft spot for the 1980s cartoon version of, of Heavy Metal. Uh, I think it's terrible. No. Uh, I've never liked it. I really wish I, I did, but it just felt like you know too much talent thrown at too uh, too small a budget. A lot of the animation is pretty shoddy. Um, they've Given it another shot with a, a, uh, a an anthology series now, which is basically what Metal Alarm has always done. It's horror, fantasy, sci-fi, uh, short stories. Um, it's a great comic. You know, it's it's survived for years because it gives people what they want, which is mainly uh, boobs and blood. Um, so to go on TV, you've got to cut down a little bit of both those. I watched some of these when it, when they were first shown on the Sci-Fi Channel. I wasn't won over. It all seemed a little flat. Uh, the performances didn't really seem to do anything for me, even though, you know, and it's one of those who's who of, of character actors like, oh, you do sci-fi stuff. We'll, we'll get you in. Hello, Scott Atkins. <laughs> Hello, James Masters. Rucker hey, Rucker Howard, are you sober? Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to put you in here for five minutes. Hey, that minutes. dude who French shoes in all of Juno's movies. I forget his name. Oh, Dominique Pignon. Dominique Pignon, yeah. Dominique Pignon. I don't know. This kind of reminded me uh, of... Um, did you ever see Lex? Mm-mm. Lex was this great, insane series from the mid-90s. Um which built up this ridiculous universe where there's dead assassins and giant ships that are actually also sentient um, uh, uh, dragonflies. And, oh, that sounds awesome. Oh, it's <laughs> great and completely insane. And as it goes there's on... There's a show? Oh, yeah. And as oh, it goes okay. on, it gets more and more and more insane. And it's wonderful. Incoherent as shit. But <laughs> I loved it because it embraced its madness. And... I don't know. Show? No, no. This it was no, a, it was a long running series. It was like berserk. Uh, this feels kind of like that, but it doesn't embrace the madness. And they just go like, oh, you know, if your forty five minutes is up, uh, none of the individual stories felt that strong to me either. I just wasn't taken with it. I think I liked it a little bit more than you do. I I, th- I felt like it did have that. What you're talking about, it didn't like sort of nail the the landing really. I mean, and. And I didn't really. I actually, when I, I just put it in without even looking at the cover. I thought I, I thought I was going to watch a whole like series about Scott Atkins and Michael J. White fighting in this robot oh, city, which and would be like, awesome. How are they going to make a whole series of it? And then I and then I realized I was watching sort of like uh, like a Twilight Zone. Like I mean, I, I'd never re- read the original comics, so all these like twists. Are, are pretty interesting to me. Like, I, I sort of like the idea of, like, a Twilight Zone set in space and sci-fi, like, you know, 
sort of steampunk like settings for stuff and i i dig that like all the mixture of robots with uh you know old timey setting stuff no, old timey old timing settings <laughs> but uh set to 500 degrees I centigrade would... and, and bake your apple pie and then leave it on the side so someone <laughs> can steal it from the window <laughs> i think this is a little uh more successful I mean, I just had very low expectations, maybe, because <laughs> it does it does look like sci-fi, like brand type stuff. But I think the stories are a, a lot better Hi. than you like, change what the you, you change the spelling sci-fi on your network. I'm going to change the pronunciation. You're the Siffy Network. Hey, Siffy. Ooh, that uh, sounds creepy. I, I I think for anyone who's a fan of uh, sci-fi or uh, even like anthology Twilight zone type stuff would dig this because i mean they're not they don't all like land the ending but i think there's some like i like the one with dominique pignon even though it was a little like you you kind of see <laughs> even, the ending even though he is the creepiest looking man on I the mean, planet i love him i love that about yeah. him i love that and i think they do like Best they do thing seem about to alien ca- resurrection they do seem to care about their or the originals like even though the cgi is kind of shoddy they seem to care about like they they seem to understand like the instincts and the style, so I think I don't know. I, I don't know, think it's I, worth checking out. It, it looks like kind of a lower. You know, the the effects have this kind of Spartacus feel to it, but without the aspiration. Right. Um, and I think if you're going to do Metal Along, you have to be visually just off the charts nuts. I mean, this is a. a, a a comic that its American incarnation has been kept going by Simon Bisley for the last few years. Mm. You know, just like spikes and wild camera shots and just and blood and lunacy and i really See, want I to disagree like, i don't want bottle. that in my anthology sci-fi I, I comic book i, don't I want, like tasteful cinema but the thing is i don't necessarily want that from my anthology stuff but i want that from metal along yeah you know otherwise it just feels like you got the brand you borrowed the brand right and i might even have liked it a little bit more if i didn't feel like it was the thing that isn't metal along you know, right, that if it was called need, something else. Yeah, that you need that. It, it it's supposed to. Metal Alarm has always been the the leading edge, the extreme edge of, of of anthology comics, and this doesn't really catch what that does. Uh, and that's a little bit disappointing. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think I think maybe yes, if this was just called, you know. Big metal ball going through <laughs> space and shouting at planets. <laughs> Michael Jai White hitting hitting a robot. Maybe I would have had more fun with it, but yeah, I just really I, I want Metal Along to be Metal Along. <laughs> Let Britney be Britney. Uh, Let Whitney be Whitney. Yeah. <laughs> Let Whitney rest in peace. Leave Metal Along alone. Back in your box, Cox. Back Shoot in your him. box. Shoot to kill. Yep. Uh, <laughs> quiet, you. I'll, I, I, another French intellectual property, as it were. Yeah, See, intellectual. This day of in quotes. In, oh dear. Ooh. Um. Okay. Did anybody for for their scorecard have uh, Jean Luc Godard shoots a film in three D? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Bueller? No. But that's exactly what we get with Goodbye to Language. Probably the. I don't know. This is an odd, odd odd film even (laughs) in fact i would argue it's not a film um i would agree with you (laughs) what this is is a series of scenes and events 
um, built around a a a couple, uh, but occasionally who are mostly naked. Naked a lot, uh, a lot. Hmm. Um, Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not the good kind of naked. No, no. Uh, yeah, and and there's a, a point where. Uh, the, the man, his feet kind of lurch at camera, and it's really disturbing. <laughs> In 3D. Because it's kind of, they're very knobbly, and you're like, oh, dearie me, that's... that's Yeah, we don't need to see that. Um, this is Goddard at his most experimental. And this is a guy who built his career on experiments. To do weekend. Uh, this is like, even by his standards, this is yeah. like, this is a series of, of scenes and concepts. And a lot of it seems to be there's first of all, you know, his standard meditations on relationships and sexuality and in a, in the modern environment uh, and the con- and concepts of creativity, and there are references laden throughout this, some of which he makes explicit, some of which he doesn't. Then there's a weird subplot about a dog, which doesn't seem, really seem to go anywhere. Um, but what he's really doing is trying to create. Well, he says goodbye to language. What he's really trying to do is create a new experimental language for 3D cinema because most 3D cinema to date really it's either been big box office spectaculars or it's been documentaries where they're kind of trying to add a little bit more of a sense of of location and weight to the documentary format here he's doing things I have never seen anybody do with 3D. He artificially extends the depth of field. There's one point where uh, one of the characters is kind of like leaning on a chair and looming back, and it's it clearly lengthened. Uh, and you just kind of like this. This gives a feeling of unreality. Or one of my favourite moments, which uh, did you get a chance to see this in 3D or just in 2D? I was going to say maybe I should have seen this in 3D. I Probably so because to, just to see it in 2D, it it's just... absolutely to miss. That I, I don't even know how you would transfer some of what he does to 2D. I, I think it's, it, it's just impossible to do that. Because there's one great moment where the the left lens of the stereoscopic camera disconnects, wanders off to the right of the right lens, and tracks with a character. So the right lens is still on this one character who sat down, and the left lens is gone while the other one goes to the bathroom. Uh, oh, the, yeah, there is a lot of shitting. Oh yeah, there is a lot of oh, shitting shit in this noises. film. Lot of like comedically so, and I'm like, are you trying to be funny or mm. is this an old man just kind of not quite getting it? I you know, I would I, lean towards the the old man not quite getting it. Yeah, I, I really. <laughs> and this has been greeted as a masterpiece. I think it's a lot of that is just because Godard is old and has done something fresh, and I think it, you know. He's thrown, like I said, I think he's thrown down a gauntlet really successfully. Is this a successful film? Nope. I don't think, I don't think anybody who tells you it is, is is basically a liar. But I think it's a great test reel. I think it's it's really impressive. And I think a lot of people are going to go, no, I can do something different and new with 3D. And I can try and push the boundaries on it. And I, it doesn't just have to be a, you know... That, I mean, that's the really great thing. He shot this in 3D. This isn't 3D in post. Mm-hmm. This isn't just like, oh, let's peek some, tweak some visuals. Which my TV can do that now. It's not hard to, right. <laughs> to, to do 2D to 3D in post. He's really trying to do something here. I don't think it works. I don't think it works either. 
and maybe I should have seen it in 3D, but I don't know if that would have changed my mind. And I, you know, I, I'm all for the experimental good art. I love Weekend. I love Content. I like his older stuff. I mean, uh, but this to me feels like watching those films, but they they're not as pretty. Like, because some of those movies really test your limits of like how long am I gonna stay on? Like, how long am I gonna keep up with like this intellectual kind of pretend? I, I think it's a with, lot of with added with added fart gags. Well, it's fart gags. That's the best part of the movie is the fart gags. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's 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 like a there's so much nudity and generally female, uh, which is funny because like the male, the, you know, you got the man wandering around naked as much of the time as she is, and I I, I kept noting after I was like, ah, oh, huh, mysteriously his junk disappeared behind like a convenient bush. <laughs> it's like it's like Austin Powers at one right. <laughs> hey, here's a jar. Yeah, it's like <laughs> nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's. Yeah. Puerile in places and exploitative in places, and I'm not really sure. It's like got said, a lot of high praise that I don't understand. Uh, but if you Godard, are a Godard, Godard. Uh, Godard fan, go for it, but just not for me. Yeah, if this was in a box set, I think a lot more value to it, but it's like, eh, it I mean, is, you could put a ribbon on shit and say it's not shit, but it's still going to be shit <laughs> if you eat it, and I eat a lot of shit. What? Pardon? Speaking, speaking of, of shit. eating. Oh, you went there. Uh, speaking of eating. For... Spe- speaking of eating, uh, sometimes cult films come along that leave a great mark on on cinema that they're not appreciated at the time, right? Uh, and they really you know come into their own over over time, and people appreciate them. Uh, and that you know is is Buckaroo Banzai. Mm. However, Late for Dinner is not Buckaroo Banzai. It's directed by the same guy, W.D. Richter. Right. Only it, other movie that he directed. Yeah, it's the only other... <laughs> really? Sorry. I didn't know that. Make sure that Thank you, Wiki Cox. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it is the only other... I mean, he wrote lots and lots and lots of films. Um, you know, he's kind of one of the guys that put together a lot of what you think of as, as 80s cinema in his scripts. My God, he should not have been allowed to make movies. I mean, this is... He's the, he's the guy that went, hey, let's take Big, Big Trouble in Little China, which was written as a Western, and put it in 80s San Francisco. That would work better. You know, he did the, the, uh, uh, eight, the 70s adaptation of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Great. He, you know, really solid script writer. Holy shitballs. What the hell is this? <laughs> I, I, I have a theory about this. Because I think what happened was that Mm-mm. he made Buckaroo Banzai, Nobody got it because it was so complicated. There were so many things. It was trying to strike so many tonal notes. And he, he, he went, wow, that was what put people off. Okay, there will be no tonal notes whatsoever. There will be no mood changes. It is what it is all the way through. It's kind of a bit of a strange concept. You want a cryogenic time machine movie straightforward? Sure, I got it right for it. We'll do that. (laughs) Um, So basically it's this brother and his brother-in-law in the 1960s and you know they accidentally get cryogenically frozen by a scientist who just happened to be randomly cryogenically freezing people Duh. yeah because and like, there's no explanation so like oh you, would you gentlemen like to be cryogenically frozen yeah okay what's cryogenic frozen 
Sure, we just years. got it. We're on the we're on the land. We're on the land right now. Yeah, sure, for a I'd murder they didn't commit because it turns out it's not a murder. Like, yeah, it, like it's this weirdly complicated setup about these two perfectly nice guys who you know one of them is Peter Pete, Peter Berg Peter Berg and, and Brian Wimmer and they they're nice enough and one of them's got a dying <laughs> kidney and it's like oh and they get frozen. And then they wake up in the 80s, and then the. And then everyone just gets over it. They're like, yeah, it's like everybody. Yeah, and Peter Berg's character goes and finds his wife, uh, (laughs) who is 30 years older now and played by, you know, still played by Marsha K. Harden in one of her relatively early roles. Now that he's her. Peter Berg is her sister. Yeah, yeah, her brother. Her brother, yes, it's Brian Wells, who's the husband, who's actually called, like, Dave Husband or something, which is like, (laughs) really? We, yep, that's trying, my name, Dave Husband. We're not even trying. The husband gene has been passed down since generations. From, ah, from Grandpappy Husband. Um, and it is so flat. Do you, you would have thought there'd be like at least some real attempts at fish-out-of-water comedy. No. Marsha Gay Harden just goes, oh, my husband's been frozen for, for 30 years. Let's get back together. Or bring back that like mad scientist. Like that was the most anything, interesting part. It was anything. like, what's this? What's this serum? What's all? Uh, this is all great. Uh, oh, no, no more of it. Okay. And, and it's it's very amateur dramatic. It's very you, you feel you don't feel like this is something that was written by somebody who has a reputation for writing weird baroque plots. Yeah. Um, and you compare it to something like. You know, well, Back to the Future, which goes, let's we've got a crazy idea, let's run with it, let's have as much fun as possible, or you know, always, you know, something like that, or any other cryogenically frozen or time travel movie that has so much more fun with the concept and gives the characters more emotional depth because it literally is two guys are frozen, they wake up and they get on with their lives. Yeah, the most goofy thing is like. That burger costs what? Ten dollars? Ooh! Well, I'll, I only have. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's it. I've only got a nickel. <laughs> I've like, only got a nickel for that burger. And like all the all the potential drama of them being frozen, the fact that like they're supposed to be about to lose their house and all this complicated yeah. stuff is like, oh uh, no, that goes away. There's nothing here. It's yeah. so weird. It's almost to, worth watching as an object lesson in how not to do a script mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really right. strange it's like no this is how you take all tension out of it they'd say they'd say in script writing have an and then yeah there's no end thens and it, it, no it's and then the end yeah such a weird little film uh clearly going to be marketed to people who love buckaroo banzai and i, I love young peter berg yeah which you know which who i do who doesn't love young Peter Berg? <laughs> uh, you know, well, I'm clearly did. And Marshall K. Harden does in this film as well. And like, yeah, weird to watch so many people who clearly are so much better kind of just sat in a film that goes pretty much absolutely nowhere. Um, speaking of films that go nowhere, but actually do. Uh, <laughs> I love my joke. Um, Get out of here. From the Dark, uh, I saw this at Fantastic Fest last year, and this is one of, it's a, you know, some people really hated it because they said, you know, it just does two people in a house being chased by a monster, and that's it. I loved it for that. 
I I saw it as more. No, I didn't. I, 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 there are so many films that go, oh, you have to add 20 complicated layers to make a monster movie successful. This doesn't. This just does it. it this couple, uh, uh, Neve Algar and, and uh, Stephen Cromwell, uh, you know, they're just it's, it's a little bit almost like um, uh, Long Weekend. You know, they got a couple of problems with their relationship. They decide to go to the middle of nowhere uh, in rural Ireland. Car gets stuck in the mud. They find a farmhouse. And then bad things start to happen to them. And it's very clear that, you know, what's pursuing them is a, a, an Irish bog vampire, basically. And I talked to the director about this, and, you know, he was very much inspired by uh, the bog people that have been found, which are basically uh, people who have fallen to peat bogs. And the bodies are preserved, perfectly preserved for thousands of years. It, the chemicals in there just are weirdly good at, at, at you know, effectively pickling them. So the hair and the clothing mm. is important. Give me some of those chemicals. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, they, and they just, you know, and I love this because it just is, you're trying to survive a night with monsters. It strips everything else away, makes a good old-fashioned pure jump scare creeping crawling horror film with a classic i'm not going to try and find something redemptive about the monster these are things which want to kill you they want to kill you and eat you and that is it and i love that you know and i think it did it so successfully and with this really kind of like gray muddy color palette and this real sense of fear about it I, I, you know, sometimes I don't want anything else from my horror films. I don't want them to say, well, maybe you should sympathize. Fuck you, take your Twilight bullshit, get away from this. <laughs> this I, and I particularly horror love... Horror fans love Twilight. <sighs> I, I love anything that takes the vampire back to what it is, which is a fucking virus. These are things that kill. These are monsters. This is a monster movie. I'm so glad to see just a, a flat-out monster movie. This is by uh, Conor McMahon, who also did Stitches, uh, the um, zombie clown movie from a couple of years ago, which is hilarious if you haven't seen. It's got some problems, but I think this is a real evolution because he just goes, I want to do a horror movie. I want to do a movie that just scares people. For me, this absolutely knocks out the park. Uh, I did not get scared by the movie. And you know what? I think... I I agree with you. I like it when... It's just like a basic horror film. I, I have to like, if I'm trying to think of another film that does that, it's like The Descent. Like that movie is a great horror movie because it's all in one location. That movie does have some sort of like, is it real? Is it not real? Things going on, but uh, when it gets down to it, it's just like monsters attacking people. It's it's great. Whereas I don't actually like The Descent for no. the pure reason that um, the setup is spectacularly stupid. Uh, because Girls they do sh- each other. No, they do shit when they go in the cave system. That is like, no, you people are supposed to be seasoned, um, experienced cavers. You wouldn't do this, <laughs> and it really drags me out of it. I'm Wait, like, they wouldn't go in a cave. They they would, but there's like stuff that they do while they're there. There's you know particularly about you know the maps and what the, and some of the things that they the, some of the characters do that are just like if you are supposed to be experienced cavers. 
you wouldn't do that. And there are plenty of ways to put cavers into danger without doing that. And it really bugs me. It's always it's like just all these things. It's the cave it. protocols. Yeah, it's really They did is. not follow cave protocols in yeah, that movie. Well, it would like, have not happened. Yeah, well, it, it, it'd be like somebody driving along. It, it'd be like if somebody's going, oh, we're going to go from point A to point B in a car in a film. And halfway through, they go, hey, let's all close our eyes and, dry, and drive with the steering wheel behind <laughs> us. You go, that's fucking stupid. Isn't that nobody, every horror film, though? Nobody does that. Everyone's Even the guys in this yeah, the couple in this film, I mean, they should have left earlier. I mean, they're not that stupid, but I just didn't feel like this scare. I mean, when it gets to like the part where the you know the the horror tracks kicks in, it's like bang, you know, jump scare. It just seemed like the same old trivial horror movie to me. I, I liked it because it just it's like I said, it stripped it back. It really worked for me. I think it, it really just for for like hardcore horror fans should check it out, but. Uh, it's it just wasn't it didn't it didn't scare me it felt kind of bland I uh, I mean it, it's too dark for me like I like I don't need my movies to like my horror films to like show everything but I just like couldn't see what was happening uh, but that's part of the part of the whole thing is the only thing that keeps the the vampire away is is light. That's so true. that's 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 a core part of the dynamic, which is what I liked about it. And it really bugs me when you get a film where they have a, a concept like that, and then actually there's you know there's light everywhere. I mean, I I, I love pitch black, but um, you know uh, there's like oh no, there's light in a lot of places. It, it, it's very rarely actually pitch black, pitch black. So you know, <laughs> even then I'm like yeah, you're kind of like fudging it a bit. This feels right, and it's the kind of darkness you only really get in the remote countryside. So yeah. I'll, I'll so keep we'll, Twilight. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll, oh, you and your sparkly fucking vamps. <laughs> anyway, that brings us to the end, sadly, sadly, of the reviews. It's been a packed oh, week. wow. But you know what? We've got one thing left. You know what it is? Giveaway! Again, premature. One, two, three. Giveaway! Oh, back on your training wheels. So, you know what? You know what? Chris, you've been so good. You sat there relatively quiet. That bag of bag of gummy worms we gave you kept you uh, sedated for a while. So uh, you, you want, come on, come on, come on over here, little man. Come on. Wait, these are gummy worms? Or this is one of those gummy bag of dicks? <laughs> you just thought it was worms. Uh, yeah, sorry. I have things I could say about several of the reviews today, but I'm not going to because I'm just gentle. You're just wrong. I'm just... Wait, what? Yes. No. Yes, go with it. You're the one who likes the prequels. <laughs> with, at least they're still canon. <laughs> Oh, that doesn't work for the Star Wars universe, though. <laughs> anyway, anyway, our giveaway this week is a film we reviewed last week called Killers, which was a pretty damn cool uh, Indonesian slash uh, a Japanese thriller. Crazy two killers uh, uh, communicating through the internet, each deciding to each developing their own serial killing skills. We had a lot of fun with it, and we've got a Blu-ray. Of it did to you, give away. Did you have a lot of fun developing your serial killer f- skills on the internet? I learned a lot. <laughs> I did. It got you away from porn for five minutes. <laughs> um, Three minutes. Okay. Minute and a half. Minute and a half, yeah. But anyway, we're giving away a copy this weekend. This is how you can win, Richard. Okay, we need you to go onto the Twitters. Uh, follow us at one of us net. Uh, and then using the hashtag killersgiveaway, you need to tell us oh I've got one for you um name a serial killer who's never had a film made about them and the director you would like them 
that you would like to direct that film. That's a good one. Yeah. I already know my answer, but I'm not going to say it. Here. Yeah. I, mean, kind of, I think we probably have the same answer. At least for Chris the serial Cox killer. And, <laughs> hey, my story's not uh, out there yet, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime Network and, and everybody's career. Let's not get a jump on this one. I know some uh, feds who listen to this podcast. <laughs> I still bad. got some work to do. <laughs> so, yeah, a, an actual real life serial killer who's never had a film made, made about them and the director you would like to see handle that story. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, follow us at one of us net on Twitter and use the hashtag killers giveaway. So that's it. That we're done. We're done. Thanks again, Sam, for coming by. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks to the cats for not wrecking the equipment. It's only oh. when you're on, Chris. It's only when they. That's the only time they decide they're going to wreck all the equipment. That's because I'm sitting off to the side and they can just dog pile on me or cat pile, as the case may be, <laughs> or fall off the couch. See, when I'm recording, doing. they're like, "Pay attention to me! Pay attention to me! <laughs> Let me bite your hand." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I believe there's only one thing left to say, and that's bye. Bye. <laughs>